gets up and asks, uh, between two things, which would you rather do? So we're going to play would you rather. I'm going to invite you to, you know, lean over and talk with your neighbor of, of which you would rather. So the first one is pretty easy. Would you rather? And for your holiday meal, would you rather eat turkey or eat ham? Ironically, my Sunday school class met this past week and we had chicken and pork. So you can do chicken and pork too if you want. But turkey or ham, would you rather share with your neighbor or your friend sitting beside you? Would you rather turkey or ham? Turkey or ham? I really like the sweet potato casserole. Am I on? Okay. Are you hearing me? Can you hear me over here? There. Is that better? Okay. Sweet. Thank you. Perfect. Uh, second one. Would you rather wear matching Christmas PJs or ugly Christmas sweaters with your family? So would you rather between those two? I guess... That holds a little more to it if you're sitting with your family or not. <laughs> I don't know. We never had matching PJs. Um, next one. Would you rather shop for presents or put up Christmas decorations? Would you rather? Which one? I'm not a big shopping fan. I would rather do them all online. So that's me. And our, our next one kind of gets us into this idea of Advent. Would you rather have been present on earth or alive during the first coming of Christ or here to see kind of the second coming of Christ kind of from the earthly perspective versus, you know, Christ will raise us from the dead. Don't worry about that. But anyways, you get my idea. First coming or second coming of Christ. Would you rather? Would you rather? And then, uh, my last one, I was reminded in our Isaiah passage, we have this beautiful picture of the, the lion and like the calf laying down together and the children uh, with the serpents and, and being okay. So it's, would you rather be a part of that? Or in our New Testament passage, John the Baptist talks about Jesus coming to bring the baptism by fire. So which one would you rather be a part of? So talk with your neighbor there. That's kind of a tricky one, I think. Would you rather? So this is kind of uh, the thought that uh, came to me a, a little bit as I was looking at this passage of Scripture that we're going over today from the Gospel of Matthew. And it reminded me that uh, many times people have a misconception that uh, we have kind of two different pictures of God in our scriptures, that in the Old Testament, God is kind of uh, this angry and wrathful God. And then in the New Testament, Jesus comes and he, he's merciful and, and a forgiving God. Um, and we have this thing that oftentimes people think about this, about our different testaments. When I encounter this, most of the time, uh, the way I kind of respond to it in someone, whether they think they have this uh, dichotomy, is, is I respond by trying to encourage people to understand that the Old Testament God is really a lot more like New Testament God than we think. 
So I, I like talking about uh, the prophet Jonah. So Jonah gets told by God to go and preach to the, the Ninevites. The Ninevites were these very violent, wicked foreigners who didn't follow God. And so God sent Jonah. Jonah didn't want to go at first, of course, but we know the story of the whale. So God gets him to go and preach to the Ninevites. And he goes and preaches to the Ninevites. And miracle of miracles, the Ninevites respond by repenting and turning to God. And so God then relents from the wrath that he promised was coming. He's merciful and forgiving. And then Jonah, the prophet of this God, uh, gets angry. He goes up on a hill, sets up his chair, and he says, God, this is why I didn't want to come. I knew you would be forgiving and merciful. I knew you were a God who loves to forgive and to offer mercy. And so in the Old Testament, we get a lot more pictures of a merciful and forgiving God than sometimes people like to say. But as I was reflecting on this New Testament passage in Matthew 3, we hear what John the Baptist has to say about the coming Messiah, Jesus. And I was reminded that perhaps, yes, we do need to remind folks that Old Testament God is a lot more like New Testament God. Uh, than oftentimes we think, but also at the same time, we need to remember that New Testament God is perhaps a little more like Old Testament God than we thought. John the Baptist says of this coming Messiah, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Before this, he had said that the, Jesus, the Messiah, was coming to baptize those who wanted to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And here he say the fire's coming for chaff. So there's fire coming for all of us from Jesus' end, is what John says about this. The, the, winnow, the winnowing fork was used as a way to separate the wheat from the chaff, and it's a metaphor for judgment coming in the coming of the Messiah. So Jesus comes to burn up the shaft, to burn up the useless stuff in our lives, and also to bring about purification and sanctification for those willing to yield to him and wanting to be a part of his plan. redemption. So so how does this all uh, relate in our scripture passage this morning, and how does it connect us to Advent? I found this next picture online, and I thought it was kind of funny, because it's John the Baptist saying to the Pharisees, happy Advent, you brood of vipers, because he yells at the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? But anyways, that was just a side note. So what's happening in our scripture today and how does it relate to Advent and the coming of Jesus? Well, the Israelites um, believed in a God who was a creator God. And this creator God was a, a good God and he made creation and he called it good. And it was good also because it was made by a good God. But then shortly after the creation... Uh, creatures t- chose to turn away from what God wanted for their life. They, they willfully disobeyed this God who had made them. And so things got off track from where they were supposed to be. And so God chose to come and to redeem his people. And so, so he decided that he would choose a person and a family, Abraham and his family, that grew into a nation. And that nation was supposed to represent God to the people 
and the nation was supposed to be more a part of the solution for setting things right than messing them up. And so Israel, over time, uh, got off track every once in a while, and God called them back. And then they got off track again, and God called them back. And for a while, they had one really good king, David, that, that ruled Israel, and, and there were some good things happening. But then again, they fell off track. And Israel, who was supposed to be part of the solution, became more a part of the problem than being part of the solution. And so God sent them into exile, and they were sent away from their land. But in the midst of exile, the prophets came and they said that there would be a promised Messiah that was coming to make everything right again. This Messiah was coming to set not only Israel right, but the whole world right in relation with God and with one another. And this Messiah would bring the kingdom of heaven, the rule of God, that he was coming to bring peace. And so for a while, there was silence and not much happened. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, John the Baptist comes up encouraging people to get ready. And he called the people to get ready for this coming Messiah. And, and John said, I I'm not the one that's going to make you right. I'm not the one that's going to fix everything in the world. But I can't help us get ready. And he said, the first thing that's going to help us get ready is to admit that you're part of the problem. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is come near. Admit that part of you is messed up inside of yourself. And you need help. You need God. And so he called the people, repent and bear fruit of repentance. Act like you're sorry. Act like you're repenting. Do something. Turn away from your own sin, your own personal problems. Again, John said, I can't make you right, but this is what we can do in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. And then the Pharisees come up on the scene, right? They walk down, and John's not very happy with the Pharisees, and so he says this, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So what did the Pharisees get? So it's the Pharisees and the Sadducees as well. I just kind of left them out a little bit. Sorry, Sadducees. But, um... <laughs> What did they get so wrong that John was so frustrated at them? And I think the answer to that question is that the Pharisees didn't really think that they needed to, to repent as well. So the Pharisees were this uh, specific sect inside of Israel uh, that they really, really wanted to be part of the solution, which in some sense is, is a really good thing. And so the way they did that is they set up these strict rules that they had to follow and people were supposed to follow uh, to claim that they were holy and righteous in and of themselves. And so they, they followed these rules and they claimed because they were on the right team and we follow these specific rules, we're not part of the problem. They didn't think they needed to repent. 
And so they looked at the world around them, the foreigners, the nations, and they said, of course, they're heathens, and they got a lot of stuff wrong with them, and, and, and it's their fault that the world is crazy. They also looked inside of Israel and said, well, we do have sinners in Israel too, and, and they're over there, and it's just all their fault that the world is wrong. But here on our team, we're doing things right. It's all everyone else's fault. We're on the right team. We don't have anything wrong as part of us. And so they thought that they didn't need to repent. They forgot and they didn't realize that they were part of the problem too. And this is so common to us today, not to pick on politicians too much, but, but we see this very easily in the world when politicians are running, right? When they're running an election, they say, look at all the problems in the world. And, you know, if, if I was in a power, if I had the, the, the right to do things about it, we could fix it because I'm a part of the solution. But the people that are in power now, they're all the ones to blame for all this wrong in the world. And sadly, more than that, we see it within the church. We see people in the church pointing the finger at the world and saying, look at how corrupt and evil the world is around us. And of course we have problems because the world is just horrible. But it's interesting to note that when John and Jesus get really mad in their lives and when they critique people harshly, uh, very rarely are they critiquing the world and people outside No, when Jesus and John get mad, they get really mad at the religious insiders. And they critique their own team. And they say, it's not about the problems out there in the world. What we should be dealing with is the problems inside here. And inside our own hearts. So much to say that what it means to follow in the way of Jesus is, if you remember, to take the log out of your own eye before you look at the speck in your brother's eye. So often today we see blaming and saying, well, I'm not part of the problem. There's lots of wrong in the world, but it's not me. It's someone else. So how does God come and fix all of that? I have a little story that's kind of an illustration that I want to share with you. It's a story of me in first grade. So uh, it was, uh, I was doing a, a math problem in, in first grade or a math worksheet here. I think I was in the advanced class for first grade or whatever, but I was, it was just, you know, addition and subtraction. And later on, I would go on to study mathematics in university. So I got a bachelor's in mathematics uh, because it came easy to me and, and I liked it and it was good. Um, but in the first grade, I remember doing this one worksheet. And I turned it in, and the teacher came back to me a little bit later, and she said, John, I, I don't know if it was that I got all of them wrong, or I got most, but I got most of these problems wrong, and it was addition and subtraction. And she said, John, you got these wrong, and I need to help you learn how to do this right. So I'm going to keep you in from recess, and you're going to redo these, and I'm going to show you how to do it. And so she kept me in from recess, and I worked on the problems, and I figured out how to do it. And I I remember that day, looking back on it, because I had all these negative emotions, right? You get to miss out on recess, so I was sad, emotional kind of first grader, right? And, And then you have the embarrassment of not getting to go to recess with all your friends. 
And so I had all these sad emotions. But as an adult, I look back on what this teacher did, and I'm thankful. Because what she was doing was she was setting me right. She was setting me straight and on the path to become what I would later become. And if no one had ever taught me or told me that something was wrong in the way that I was doing addition and subtraction, I couldn't have gone on to multiplication and division and algebra and trigonometry and calculus. I just wouldn't have got there. And I think that is the picture of Jesus coming to us today. We like the vision of just peace and kindness. But to get there, we need a God that comes with the baptism of fire. To make us holy. To set us right inside of us with him and with those around us. And we can't get there without that. So what does his coming look like? What is this God really up to in the world? God is coming to set the world right, and God came in the person of Jesus. And so uh, the scriptures tell us that the kingdom of heaven has come, the rule of God has come, and it's already here among us. Later in the next few chapters in Matthew, John the Baptist sends his people to ask Jesus, are you the one to come? And he says, yes. He heals the sick, cares for the poor, and lifts up those who are oppressed. He sets us right with God and with one another. So in in one sense, the kingdom has already come. But we as Christians live in that truth, but we also live in the truth that it's not here yet in another sense. Because Jesus is coming at the end of time to set everything right, coming to his creation to make it new and to bring goodness, righteousness, justice, peace, and love. And so in the meantime, we who are a part of the already and not yet kingdom are called to be people welcoming the reign of God into our ordinary lives. And John tells us today that what that means and how we start is by admitting that we are part of the problem. We start by repenting of the sin in here. And as we do that, and we ask God for his help, the reign of God starts to work in all of our lives, and we welcome this kingdom of heaven into our work, our family, our vacations, our fun times, our sad times, and it invades our lives and starts making an impact on others, and then we can invite others into this kingdom, into this reign of God, right? And so if we are going to be a part of this kingdom, we better have a right understanding of its king. And so as I uh, kind of was continuing to think about this, I wanted to ask these questions. What is your understanding of this God who comes to us in Jesus? What do you want him to be like? Would you rather just have a merciful and forgiving God that says, well, whatever, it doesn't matter, all this wrong and crookedness in the world, it doesn't really matter. You do you, you know? That's the God of this age. You do you. I'm not going to impose on you anything. Do we want a safe God? 
Or do we want a God that comes with fire? I was reminded uh, that scriptures teaches us that we can see the attributes of God in the nature and in the creation around us. And so often in nature, we look out and we see the beauty of nature. And there's an immense beauty to it. In the midst of that, there's also a great danger in nature as well. Because you see, if I was dropped off in the middle of the wilderness, I don't know if I could survive. I might fall off cliffs. I might one day be struck by a hurricane or a tornado. And there's danger there. And perhaps our God coming is somewhat of a dangerous thing. I'll close with the story from the Chronicles of Narnia. You might know the book, the Narnian stories tell of uh, four school children that go into this fantasy world. And in the fantasy world, there's talking animals and lions and creatures of all sort. And the king of the realm is a lion named Aslan. He's kind of the Christ figure in the story, so to say. And uh, this, the children at first don't realize when the people are, or, and when the animals are talking about Aslan, that they're talking about a lion. They think that Aslan's a man. And so when they find out that he's a lion, they say this. Susan says, oh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. Is there anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking? Uh, if, oh, sorry. If there's anyone who can stand before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Do you want to be a part of setting the world right? Do you want to be a part of the coming of the reign of God on this earth? John tells us we start by admitting that we're part of the problem. Repent and produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Do your work with Jesus and then go out into the world and be a part of what he's doing. As we repent, we're called to welcome this dangerously holy God into our lives. And he comes to set us straight, to change us into beings who are more like him. So as we come to communion today, we start, we begin our time of communion by owning our part of the problem, by confessing the sins in our hearts. So Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Should it be